0: Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose, where we're going, we don't need Rose. The greatest trick the devil ever
1: pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. No,
0: I am your father.
1: You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello, and welcome to After
0: the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. I'm Phil Edwards, and Mike, you had me at hello. Oh,
1: well, thank you, you, Phil. And I I feel like I can reciprocate by saying that, Phil, you complete me. As you wish. (laughs) Well... Uh, sadly, none of those movies will be movies that we're talking about tonight, but uh, there's some, some quotes from some uh, great romantic films of the past. Uh, well, either you've guessed or, or you have just assuming that Phil and I have finally fallen in love, but uh, this is our special Valentine's Day-themed episode. And for those of you out there who aren't giant Valentine's Day fans, don't worry. It's not, it's not too sappy, but we do have some fun. It's all movie-related still, uh, but we do have some fun movie choices and some,
0: uh, a good mini feature and a cool top ten list. So It's all good. It's not, it's not going to be too sappy. No, definitely not. Yeah, but Mike, Mike, I will say you make me want to be a better man. <laughs> well,
1: Phil, I, I, I guess I just I have that effect on podcast hosts. What can I say? I know. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you say I know, just then were you just saying I know, or is that a quote from Empire Strikes Back? It was the Empire Strikes Back. All right, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I know you so well. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, like we said, this is our Valentine's Day episode. So Phil, why don't you tell people what we are doing to uh, celebrate the most romantic holiday of the year?
0: Yes, we're going to stuff our faces with chocolate. And then talk about films. Actually, I've got no chocolate. Damn. Neither do I. No. no, We're going to be going after the endings of When Harry Met Sally and The Return of the Jedi. And then we will also be doing, instead of our top 10 films of a particular year, we're going to be doing our top 10 romantic films of the 2000s or the noughties or whatever they're called. I don't know. Was there an official standing on what i I don't
1: know that anyone the
0: the double aughts i mean i I don't know that
1: anyone's ever come up with one that really works but 2000s yeah from
0: from the year 2000 to 2009 2010 whatever
1: yeah yeah and we have a, a fun mini feature planned as well and uh so for those of you who listened last time you may be expecting our uh top 10 films of 1988 which is what we were scheduled to do but then we realized we were doing our valentine's day episode so that will be next week's uh 100 years of Hollywood, we'll do 1988, we'll return to our regularly scheduled uh, years. Yes, yeah, so you all come back now, you here?
0: <laughs> now that is not a quote from a romantic movie. <laughs> it could be, I want to write, write a romantic movie just to put that quote in it. That's what There I'm you gonna go,
1: do. good idea, good idea. <laughs> Alright, well why don't we jump into our films then, and uh, what do you think, should we start with When Harry Met Sally? Yeah, it makes sense, let's do it. Alright, so tell, take us through the events of, of Harry Met, When Harry Met Sally, Phil.
0: Okay, well, I'm sure most of us have seen the film, but uh, Harry, played by Billy Crystal, and Sally, played by Meg Ryan, have known each other for many years. First they hated each other, then they became best friends, uh, but both developed feelings for each other, but didn't want to spoil their friendship. And then one New Year's Eve, they realise they do love each other totally, and kiss, and they marry three months later. And that's when Harry met Sally.
1: I like it short and sweet. You know, it's uh, really that's all you need to know. I mean, if you have seen the movie, you pretty much know the broad strokes. If you haven't seen it, that tells you enough. um, You know, and it is just a a great romantic comedy. And of course, it has one of the most famous scenes in (laughs) film history. In fact, that was on one of our lists um, when we did our top five uh, scenes involving food. I believe the
0: diner scene was on my list, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it certainly was. I don't think we reenacted it, luckily, so.
1: No, <laughs> no, no. no. I'll, I'll do a lot of things on, on the podcast. I'm, I don't know if I'm that brave.
0: But it's a, it's a great film. It's directed by Rob Ryan and written by Nora Ephron stars Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan, but also Bruno Kirby and the late, great Carrie Fisher.
1: Uh, Nice little tie-in, since we're also doing Return of the Jedi. That was a a happy coincidence. Certainly was, but
0: uh, yeah. So, uh, Mike, what have you got then for your day after?
1: All right. well, um, starting off, I keep it fairly short and sweet, but the day after, Perry and Sally, well, they don't go on a honeymoon right away, because they got married so quickly they didn't have time to plan for one. So, after their wedding, they return home and basically start shopping for a new home in New York City. The first several locations they look at are all pretty easy to pass on. There's a house that was once lived in by a girl who was supposedly possessed by a demon. Uh, there's an expensive apartment with a, with a panic room. There's a high rise apartment building with a, a really ridiculously thorough network of video and security cameras everywhere. Uh, there's a, another high rise that was once rumored to have poltergeists. And so they finally just decide to stay in the apartment they have and to save their money up for a lavish honeymoon instead.
0: And that's my day after. Very good. Yes. Uh, they filmed, They've made quite a few films out in New York, haven't they?
1: Yeah, it sort of <laughs> dawned on me that like, if you wanted to go shopping for uh, a residence in New York City, there's a lot of places that, according to the movies, you should avoid. <laughs>
0: oh, totally. Yeah, totally. No,
1: very good. Thank you. How about your day after then?
0: Okay, my day after, they uh, they did go on a honeymoon. They go on to have an amazing time, but there was one strange moment when a, a short man, who introduces himself as Jack Putter, approaches Sally as if he knows her. He calls her Lydia and asks how she got away from the cowboy. Eventually, they convince Jack that he's mistaken, and he goes on his way. But they spend the, the rest of their honeymoon travelling, loving each other, eating too much, drinking too much, and just having a wonderful time
1: very nice i like it i like the way you worked in uh an inner space reference there uh, a movie that we've we've discussed in the past we both love very much
0: yeah i do like that movie i just uh i always wish they made a sequel to that one
1: yeah that's a, that's a great that's a great classic 80s film i, I love mm-hmm. it and and meg ryan you know that's back when she was you know just really great in everything she did yeah
0: she did have a really good run of films yeah yeah for sure okay so what's uh what's happened for your immediate aftermath after they've decided to stay Okay, well, they've started saving up for their honeymoon,
1: but picking a honeymoon spot isn't easy. Harry wants to go lay on a tropical beach somewhere, but Sally wants to go on an adventure. They consider a number of different spots, and they almost settle on a dude ranch out in the west, (laughs) but eventually they decide instead to go to Hawaii, where they can have both experiences. They can lie on the beach for a few days and then go on adventures like hiking on volcanoes and parasailing. Uh,
0: Was that Joe the Volcano?
1: You know, it it actually wasn't originally until I said it right then, and I was like, yeah. "Oh, I got it." I you know, I did the City Slickers reference. I just realized I did a Meg Ryan reference too, without yeah. even realizing it. Cool. <laughs> so I'm smart and stupid at the same time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's the best way to be. Yeah,
1: exactly. They start putting away money, and several months later, in the dead of the New York winter, they board a plane and fly off to their tropical honeymoon. On the flight there, however, they get into a huge fight over which restaurant they should eat at their first night there. <laughs> which, of course, is a ridiculous thing to fight over, and that would never happen in real life. That a couple would get into a huge fight over a tiny little thing. So obviously, it's fiction. But anyway,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm sensing I aimed at someone in particular.
1: <laughs> no, it's not. You know, it's. <laughs> I, I say that it makes it sound like I, I'm a terrible husband, but I just. It's just one of those
0: things where you know, it's just that's just what couples kind of thing, do. Yeah. You know, it is the kind of thing you argue about, yeah. Right.
1: Like couples don't get most couples that are happily married don't get into fights over big issues. They get into fights over stupid little things, you know, like what restaurant to eat at turns into like this giant ordeal, you know. And that's kind of what I was thinking when I was writing this was like, that's what happens. Like, you know, it's very true to
0: life and true to the characters as well.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. So. And so, yes. So by the time they land,
0: they're not speaking to each other.
1: And that's
0: my immediate aftermath. No, I can see that.
1: All right, so Phil, how about your immediate aftermath?
0: Okay, back in New York City, they begin their life together as a proper couple. Sally bumps into a distant cousin of hers, Kathleen Kelly, who runs a bookshop. This
1: chance meeting... (laughs) That reference I
0: caught. (laughs) This chance meeting inspires Sally to open her own business, a bakery called Cake on the Side. (laughs) She carries on writing and doing other things. Uh, The meeting with Jack Putter... And as mentioned, the cowboy stays with Harry, and he arranges to go on to, to have a dude ranch cowboy holiday with some friends. <laughs> Great minds think alike, I see. Yeah, no, I had to get a bit of city slickers in. Well, but
1: you, how could you not? Because like the characters are so similar, and like yeah, you could yeah. easily see the city slickers. You know, even though I know it's a different character name, but you could see that being Harry. You know, ten years down the line. You oh know? yeah,
0: yeah, totally. I mean, because well, it's just they're both basically Billy Crystal, aren't they? Right, exactly. Upon <laughs> <laughs> uh, his return to New York, he gets some wonderful news from Sally. She's pregnant. Oh, boy. And that's my, uh, that's my immediate aftermath. All right. I like it. Thank you. So what happens now with, uh, with
1: your long term? All right. Well, uh, I, I will say I, I try to stay true to the, the rom-com formula here. So, Okay. Uh, Sally and Harry ride in silence in the taxi after they leave the airport. They check in in the hotel, and they storm up to their room, barely speaking. As dinnertime arrives, they both head off to their respective restaurants and sit by themselves. They both end up having a miserable evening, but of course, both of them are also resolute that the other one should be the one to apologize first. Harry ends up talking to a married couple at the table next to him that's celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. Sally ends up spilling her guts to her sympathetic waiter, who reveals that his wife is in the hospital with terminal cancer. They both realize that the fight was stupid, and they stand up and run out of their respective restaurants to rejoin each other. Unfortunately, they both rush out so quickly that they forget to pay, and both of them end up getting arrested by the police for theft for (laughs) not paying for their dinners. They end up in adjacent holding cells in the local police station where they both try to apologize first. As they talk over each other trying to say they're sorry, they start laughing and realize how silly the whole thing was. They decide to promise each other that while they can't say that they'll never fight again, they can at least promise to always remember that there's no fight that they can't overcome together. They share a kiss between the bars of the jail cell, and it's the best kiss of their entire relationship so far. And that's the
0: end. Oh, I like it. Thank you. Very nice.
1: Thanks. I was having fun with that sort of like, I'm like, what happens in romantic comedies? I'm like, well, they have to break up and then some wise old character has to pr- point out to them why they're yeah. wrong. And then they have to go rush back to meet each other. And then something has to go wrong in
0: between, you know, so it's yeah, kind of no, yeah, running see, you through can, the, the four. You could see that working quite well. Yeah. Yeah. I thought yeah. it could be fun. Very nice.
1: All right. Great. So how does yours wrap up then, Phil? Give us your long term.
0: Okay, well, they end up having twins, which they name Rob, <laughs> uh, yeah, which which they name Rob and Nora. Oh,
1: very nice. I like that.
0: Thank you. Uh, Harry and Sally are both successful in the work. Cake on the side is also doing very well and becomes a New York City landmark or staple or whatever you want to call it, one of those terms. But they do so well, they end up getting a house upstate. They live a long, happy, fruitful life together with lots of grandkids and happy times. If you could describe a life together as perfect, then that's what Harry and Sally had. Oh, that's nice. I like it. I like that. Yeah, I think they deserved a good happy ending.
1: You know, I I agree. And I I went obviously the same direction, but I, I feel like, you know, because of their relationship in the movie being the way that it was, it would have been easy to break them up, you know? Yeah, yeah, you could see, yeah. It could have
0: easily, it could all splutter, couldn't it?
1: Right, but I feel like that kind of takes away the fun of the movie, you know, because I think it is a fun movie, and it, it is it's fun to watch them get together and end up together, and like I don't know, sometimes you know I'm 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 a sucker for happy endings, and sometimes I just like to keep them happy. Yeah, no,
0: it works for me. All
1: right, Phil. So uh, tell us about when trivia met podcast.
0: <laughs> Ooh, okay then. Uh, <laughs>
1: I mean, listen, I don't get paid for this gig, so that you gotta work <laughs> with the material I bring. That's my A game right there. If you don't like it, there's no, other podcasts out there.
0: It linked. It worked. <laughs> it worked. Uh now some people will know some of these, but uh, the segments where the married couples are talking uh, they're all using real stories of real people, apart from mm-hmm. the ones, obviously, with Harry and Sally. Right. The woman who comments on Sally's faking of the orgasm is Rob Reiner's mom, Estelle.
1: Yes, which which I would have to imagine. I, I don't know who that would be more awkward for, Rob Reiner directing <laughs> his mom in that scene or his mom acting in that scene. Because it's all about, you know, this big, yeah. humongous, fake orgasm scene. And it's just kind of like, I don't know, sitting there with your mom watching the whole time. Seems like that could maybe be a little awkward. I know. I mean, it was, it was Rob Reiner sitting there going
0: oh, she needs to be doing it more, this, or shaking her head more. Right, exactly. (laughs) He's like, okay, Meg, now give me more. You know, like, I just feel like,
1: oh. I
0: know. But uh, let's see what else. Uh, Harry is seen reading Stephen King's Misery, and Rob Reiner went on to direct the film adaptation of that. Oh, that's cool. Which I quite like. Uh, And they end up choosing beautiful locations to highlight the character's lack of insight. Harry and Sally are so blind to romance as they are to the love grown between them, hmm. and that's why it's often filmed. You know, beautiful bits in the park or the art galleries and things like that. Oh, so that's I, interesting. I quite like that. It's one of the. It's one of those things that your filmmaker does, which you don't necessarily know, but it just it does work on a subconscious level
1: that I was just going to say that I'm always fascinated by the thought that goes into these movies. When you, when you hear about these things, you're like, I never would have picked up on that in a million years. But like you said, subconsciously it it works. And you know, it's like, you, you always wonder like, would the movie have been the same if these touches weren't in there? And it, and it probably still would have been just as good, but it's, yeah, it's always yeah. interesting when you discover stuff like that, that, you know, I just never would have thought of.
0: Well, I think it's stuff like that, which can elevate a film. So it's not just a, a bog standard romance or TV movie exactly like there's a reason when
1: harry met sally is still a a popular and well-loved movie some 25 years after it came out and i think it's stuff like that you know those little touches that all add up that makes it great you know so it's not just a a movie that comes out and is funny and then people forget about it you know a couple years later
0: totally yeah you've all got to do a lot of work to make a good film
1: exactly exactly
0: but on a couple of alternative castings albert brooks turned down the role of harry Hmm. and molly ringwald was offered the role of sally but she was forced to decline due to her schedule, but she later played the character in 2004 in the stage version of the film on London's West End.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, When Harry Met Sally.
1: All right, very nice. Okay, so let's move on then to one of the greatest romances of all time, Return of the Jedi.
0: Yeah, I mean, what, <laughs> what happens in this one? What's this one about?
1: Well, I'll tell you in a minute. But uh, let, me, let me explain. I know some people are going, why are you doing Return of the Jedi for your Valentine's Day episode? And so, you know, we want to do something a little bit different instead of just doing two rom-coms or, you know, some big romantic drama. And we thought, well, Return of the Jedi has this, you know, this, this love story between Han and Leia. And of course, we're big Star Wars fans. And so um, we thought it'd be kind of fun to do an after the ending for Return of the Jedi that focused mostly on... Han and Leia's relationship. So, oh, we
0: meant to focus on Han and Leia. I was doing <laughs> Leia and Wicket. Oh, no. Oh,
1: yeah, that, that actually could be a... I mean, they definitely had a connection. They had a spark, I think.
0: Yeah. Okay. You know, so we focus on Han and
1: Leia and their kind of their romance. So that ties into the Valentine's Day theme. And, and, like, and you know, our, our sort of rule for it was it doesn't have to end up like... At the beginning of The Force Awakens, because obviously with Force Awakens, we know sort of what the after the ending is for for Return of the Jedi. Uh, But we can't do anything that would contradict the events of The Force Awakens. So we kind of are, are playing true to the canon, kind of filling in the gaps a little bit of what happened between Jedi and The Force Awakens. So it's a little nerdy, and maybe it's a bit of a cheat with the romance stuff, but I think, I don't know, I feel like we... uh... I I
0: think it works. I mean, I haven't read... I know there's been some new novels written. There's been some novels written which uh, chronicle the events between Jedi and The Force Awakens, but I've not read them. Nor have I.
1: And I understand they mostly focus on uh, supporting characters like Wedge and and a bunch of new characters. I don't believe they delve too much into the the main characters probably because Lucasfilm you know didn't Disney didn't want them to to do anything that might contradict what comes out in the later films like episodes yeah. eight and nine which obviously haven't
0: come out yet okay well tell us about the return of the Jedi.
1: All right, well, I'll be honest. I did not even write down a synopsis for this because it's Return of the Jedi. So uh, you've got Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Princess Leia. They escape Jabba the Hutt. They fly off to Endor. They uh, knock out the shield generator. Luke fights Darth Vader. Darth Vader saves Luke from the Emperor, comes back from the dark side. He dies. The Death Star gets blown up. Luke and Leia, or Han and Leia, survive the Endor attack. And uh, the uh, Empire pretty much gets blown up. And everyone in Endor celebrates and sings Yub Nub.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think spoiler alert, uh, yeah. You said Darth Vader dies. Oh my god! Yeah,
1: sorry, spoiler. I think that's pretty much all the summation we need of Return of the Jedi. If you don't know what happens in it, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. I think you know what
0: I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's Return of the Jedi. We all know it.
1: All right. So uh, tell us, take us through the, your day after of Return of the Jedi.
0: Okay, it is a time of celebration. Destroying the second Death Star is a huge blow to the Empire, but the death of the Emperor is a massive upset. The Empire is in disarray but it's still a major force in the galaxy. The Empire's propaganda core goes into overdrive. The Rebellion know there is still a lot to do. Han and Leia spend some quality time together, though. They manage to get, you know, the one chicka bow wow kind of thing going on.
1: <laughs> Keeping it classy, uh, Phil. Chewbac- Keeping it classy.
0: I like to think so. In my mind, it's classy uh-huh. as hell. Uh, Chewbacca and Lando end up working on the Falcon because, you know, it was in a bad state after going into the Death uh-huh. Star. Luke stays around, but they all know he must head off to look for more Jedi and Force sensitives. He's come to terms with finally meeting, but yet losing his father, but he's a a more well-rounded person, and the anger and hate he was beginning to feel has seeped away. In the aftermath of the Battle of Endor, he met the crew of the Ghost and a certain Captain Ezra. Meeting another user of the Force is amazing news to Luke. And it sort of takes the weight off his shoulders a little, and that's my day after.
1: Very nice. I like how you tied it into rebels, and also I like how Ezra is now the captain of the Ghost. So that's a nice little. uh, I like how you sort of move that further along.
0: Yeah, but thank you. Uh, What about uh, your day after now?
1: Okay. Well, after the Ewok celebration on Endor dies down, Han and Leia end up in the same Ewok hut together. They barely say a word. (laughs) Thank you. Are you going to make a joke about Han's lightsaber now? I never use a lightsaber. Maybe his blaster. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Phil. All right. I know. Anyway, they barely say a word. They're so invigorated from the victory and from the adrenaline rush that comes just from surviving such harrowing circumstances that they end up in each other's arms and spend the night together. The next morning, they have a long talk where Leia lays everything out for Han about Darth Vader being Luke's father and about her being his sister. Han makes an awkward joke about Luke and Leia's kiss when they were escaping the Death Star, but (laughs) Leia shuts him up with another kiss of her own. Over the next few months, Han spends much of his time cleaning up his old smuggling and gambling debts and getting himself out of the various amounts of trouble he was in over the years. Meanwhile, Leia is recruited to help re-establish a new republic as the Empire's downfall has left a power vacuum in the galaxy. She becomes increasingly busy, but Han and her somehow find the time to continue and develop their
0: relationship. And that's my day after. Very good. Yeah, I could, uh, I could see Han really giving Luke and Leia you know, a total ribbing about the kiss. Oh yeah, he'd totally. Just, he, he'd never let them forget that. Totally.
1: Although I did, I did, I you know, I I know we we like to keep things PG thirteen, but I did just think of um, a, 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 a kind of a Star Wars sex joke, if you will. <laughs> Go would on. you like to hear it? Go on, yeah. Why was Princess Leia always disappointed when her and Han would hook up? I don't know. Because Han always shoots first. <laughs> 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 It's uh, kind of terrible, but kind of awesome uh, at the same time. Yeah, it, it is. It's exactly that. Yeah, uh,
0: it's, it's, it doesn't deserve this much laughter, but it does.
1: Yeah. If anyone's <laughs> listening with their kids, I apologize now, but I, I couldn't help it.
0: <sighs>
1: <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> yeah. Good times. Right. Time. Okay. right. We well, laughed out. Laughed out. All right. Well, on that note, Phil, how about you take us through your immediate aftermath?
0: Okay. Leia has been travelling from planet to planet to help consolidate support for the Rebellion. It is still a dangerous time, due to the ongoing Imperial presence, but she notes that the discipline and resources of the Empire is falling apart. Her, Her and Han have been inseparable, and they are both overjoyed when Leia finds out she is pregnant. She's also surprised at how well Han is taking it. Han is also surprised, but he loves Leia, and the sense of purpose he has with the Rebellion is most satisfying. Finding out he has to be a father blows his mind, but in a good way. Chewbacca doesn't leave Leia's side once she is pregnant. He fusses over her like a, like a nurse. On the day of the baby's birth, Luke returns from his travels. Hello, Uncle Luke, says Han. Meet Ben. And that's my immediate aftermath.
1: Very nice. I like it. And you know, I got to say, what I like the most, I love the touch of Chewbacca, like, fussing over Leia while she's pregnant. Like, I think that's uh, so, yeah. like, it's a great, and it's so true to the
0: characters. You know what I mean? Yeah, you could see him in because he's just. And you- Anybody, you know, you could even see Han trans, you know, help as well, and, and Chewbacca just like, you know, growling him away. And,
1: yeah, right, right. Yeah. Exactly.
0: I, I love that. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. So what about, uh, what have you got for your media's aftermath?
1: Okay. So Han settles into his role as a member of the governing republic, but he's never very comfortable in it. He's a man of action, not of politics and discussion. But Leia needs his support and he stands by her side. Luke tries to teach Leia the ways of the Jedi and wants to train her to become a Jedi Knight, but she doesn't have the time. With her government duties, she has to choose to use her little free time to train as a Jedi or to spend time with Han, and she chooses Han. When Han and Leia decide to get married the following year, Luke serves as the officiant for the wedding, and he is overjoyed to see them together. He's also extremely pleased when a few years later, they give birth to a son and name him Ben after Luke's mentor, Obi-Wan Kenobi. It isn't long before Luke begins to sense a strong connection to the Force in young Ben. And that's my immediate aftermath.
0: Oh, this is going to end well. I don't know what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, very good. No, I like like what you had, though, with uh, Leia having to decide whether to to train being the Jedi.
1: Right. Well, you know, there was some question with The Force Awakens as to why she's a general and not a Jedi. And so I sort of wanted to kind of address that. And I think that she sort of gets, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. And she was a, a princess
0: and a diplomat first. You know, so yeah. I think that'd be more of her natural path. Oh, definitely. No, that's that's what I that was my thinking as well.
1: Yeah. All right. Cool. So, how about your long term then, Phil?
0: Luke has been busy setting up a new Jedi training academy. He's found various people and aliens. Well, aliens are people, <laughs> but uh, well, you... technically
1: not. I suppose. <laughs> technically, <laughs> yeah. they're aliens. If they weren't, yeah. if they
0: were people, then they would be people and not aliens. That's true. I'm just saying. No, no, I'll go, yeah. Okay. <laughs> He ends up getting loads of different races to come along and uh, train at his <laughs> Jedi Academy. <laughs> Nicely played, sir. <laughs> uh, it's mainly uh, younglings and the like, but there are some older Jedi, maybe not Jedi users, but people who are strong in the Force. Uh, some of them have been guardians of the wills, things like that, whatever that actually is. But uh, they're, they're all there. Uh, and it's, it's going well. He's quite pleased. He's got to, he feels, he feels a, a hope for the future. Leia is now a, a general. In the Rebellion or the Resistance, or there's a panel currently working on what they're going to call (laughs) the new (laughs) organisation. Need a focus group Uh, to decide the name. That's a focus group, yeah. 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 And Han and Chu have been working closely with Lando to rescue people who are still under Imperial control. Ben is now 10, and he has shown signs of being Force-sensitive. He constantly asks if he can train with Luke, but Leia and Han keep putting it off. They love Ben, and they want to spend as much time as they can with them. And the work they're doing doesn't always make that possible. Ben hasn't told his parents there about the strange dreams he's been having. Eventually, though, they relent and take Ben to Luke. Luke is overjoyed, doubly so, as he had recently heard that Ezra and Sabine had a child. Ooh. A baby girl, a baby girl which they named Ray. Nice. Who may also be strong <laughs> in the force. Uh,
1: I like that. Uh, when
0: Han and Leia leave Ben and Luke, they are both terribly upset. But Han tries to lighten the mood. I've got a good feeling about this, he says. <laughs> and that's the end. That's brilliant. Oh, I love it. Thank you. I love that. I love, I've got a
1: good feeling about this. That's fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's the kind of thing Han would say because he's always saying the wrong thing. Right, right, exactly. Uh, Brilliant. I love it. Perfect. Thank you. Go on. What about them? What have you got for your long term? All right. Well,
1: life moves along for Han and Leia over the next decade or so. They're deeply in love, but their roles in the New Republic never let them spend as much time together as they want. Leia is constantly helping to run the government, while Han has taken an active role in developing a network of spies that works with the Republic to alert them to threats to the peace in the galaxy. Han's work takes him all over the galaxy, while Leia is constantly in meetings, strategy sessions, and planning and training conferences. And apparently focus groups. (laughs) (laughs) What little free time they have is devoted to raising Ben, although luckily Luke has stepped up and become a father figure of sorts to young Ben, training him in the ways of the Force and largely raising him. Until something goes wrong and Ben disappears. When a faction of the government called the First Order begins to rise within the New Republic, Leia is drafted into the military and given the rank of general. When she tells Han that the Republic wants her to lead the military, he gets angry and lashes out. He already never sees her, and this means that they will basically never be together. They get into a huge fight, and Han storms out. He grabs Chewie and gets drunk in a bar. The next morning, Han comes to in a booth in the bar and realizes he's been out all night. Leia, meanwhile, is heartbroken that Han didn't come home. Han realizes that Leia didn't come looking for him and decides to leave. He and Chewie load up the Millennium Falcon. Before they take off, Han scans the spaceport to see if Leia will try to stop him, but she's nowhere to be seen. Moments later, Leia rushes out onto the tarmac just in time to see the Falcon fly up into the atmosphere. As tears well up in her eyes, an aide rushes out to her. General Organa, he says, there's been an attack on one of the Outer Rim worlds. Leia glances up at the sky one last time and then rushes off to deal with the crisis. And that's the end. Oh, it's sad. It is sad, I know. Because mm-hmm. they but don't end yeah, up it's... together in The Force Awakens, which makes me very sad. I know. So I tried to kind of figure out how that might happen.
0: Yeah, you could see it like that, yeah. So oh. what are you going to do? I know.
1: So there we go. That is
0: Return to the Jedi. Oh, yeah, Some potential
1: yeah. filling in the gaps.
0: Happy Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yep, Happy Valentine's Day! Hope you're feeling cheerful and romantic now. Hey, <laughs> well, our first endings for Harry and Sally were were cheerful and romantic. Yeah, it's true, so.
0: it's true. And I, but I think uh, I think both the endings were were true, were true to the film. Right, right. And um, well, true to the time between the films, anyway.
1: Exactly. All right, well, uh, Phil, I think it's time for the return of the trivia, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Oh, yes, it is. Okay, so when Salacious Crumb, that's the little uh, muppet guy who's with Jabba the Hutt, in the scene when he's chewing off c pos eyes, Anthony Daniels had a panic attack. I kept saying, get me up, get me up, over and over. And they used that in the film, which uh-huh. I thought was nice well, of them. That's right. <laughs> great. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, the Emperor's Throne was meant to turn using like a, a motor, but it didn't. So Ian McDermott had to shuffle his feet to make it turn. That's funny. <laughs> that must have been an amazing film, wasn't it? He's there going, no. Right, And right. he's just shuffling away. Yeah, exactly. Nian uh, yum. he speaks a Kenyan dialect called Heia. Hmm. And it was all correct. Kenyan audiences loved hearing their language spoken in the proper context. Oh, that's fun. Jabber's slithery moving noises were made by Ben Bert running his hands through a cheese casserole. <laughs> Okay. The second Death Star was 460% larger than the first one.
1: Oh, wow. Size matters not, I guess, isn't really true then,
0: huh? Uh, Clearly the Empire is compensating for something. Yeah, definitely. And this one, uh, it takes into account Rogue One as well. This uh, Return of the Jedi is the only Star Wars film where Vader doesn't force choke anyone. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. The word Ewok is never spoken in the film. Also interesting, and the Wilhelm or the Wilhelm scream is heard when Luke slashes a bad guy over the solid pit.
1: Yeah, that I, I, always, I that one I do I know is in there because oh. I remember hearing it, and that's one of those uh, classic instances. It's one of the the Weequay or whatever those guys are called, the Skiff guards, all them.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's also used in like the, the celebrations at the end. Apparently, they threw it in there just for the holiday. No, it. that's fun! You know, everybody's cheering. Nice, but that's a. Uh, yeah the Return of the Jedi.
1: All right, great. So there you go. So two very romantic films, When Harry Met Sally and Return of the Jedi. That is the first the opening salvo in our Valentine's Day episode. But for now, why don't we move on, Phil,
0: to our Mighty Morphing mini feature?
1: Why don't you tell people what we've got in store for them?
0: Okay, so this this week's Mighty Morphing mini feature is called Unexpected Romance. And it's, uh, we're basically looking at romantic scenes in films which aren't necessarily romantic.
1: Yeah, I think that sums it up. You know, kind yeah. of, yeah, you know, uh, r- romance scenes that we like that take place in movies that are definitely not romantic films. Kind of like Star or like Return of the Jedi, but we're expanding on that a little bit. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, what have you got then for, for your first
1: one? All right, well, my first one comes from 1986's Aliens by James Cameron. Not a film <laughs> filled with romance. And it is the scene where uh, Hicks shows Ripley how to use the assault rifle. Um, you know, and it's not an overt romance scene. Obviously, the film doesn't have time for a real romance, but there's no denying that there's a connection between Ripley and Hicks. And, you know, Sigourney Weaver and Michael Bean are terrific in that. And I think that it's just sort of like that's the way you fit. A romance scene into a movie like that. You know, it's simply him showing her how the gun works, showing her how to operate it and everything. And they're close together. And he's got his arms around her and they never kiss or anything like that. But that's the scene where you really sort of get that sense of connection between them. And I think that then plays out through the rest of the movie uh, that they definitely do have affection for each other.
0: Totally. I mean, it's, uh, it's like when, I think he gives the, it gives her the motion tracker as well, so right. it does, doesn't mean we're engaged. Yeah, exactly. All, so. Exactly,
1: yeah. So that whole, I mean, yeah, it's kind of the the whole interplay between them, but that scene to me was kind of
0: the uh, it's like the clay molding scene in Ghost, only uh, slightly different. Yes. No, that was a good point. <laughs> it's, it's probably though, it's, it's a more realistic form of romance and I know it's an alien sci-fi film, but it's that kind of thing. These two people in a desperate time, they have this moment where it should be all, you know, I'm showing you how to do this, but there's a connection, and it's, uh, it's, it's done really well by both of them. Agreed. Sigourney Weaver and uh, Michael B. Agreed. And if I'm not mistaken, doesn't Unchained Melody
1: play in the backing of that scene while they're doing, <laughs> talking about the gun? I think it's in there. I think, I think it probably was. I think the aliens <laughs> are humming it. Right. <laughs> I'm not even, I was about to try and do an impression of the alien scream, like humming Unchained Melody, and I was just no. like, you know, there's no you way on that. Earth that can end well, so I'm just going to no. let it go. You need one of first
0: Bueller's, you know, keyboards and samples. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs>
1: All right. So, uh, what have you got for your
0: pick, then, Phil? Okay, I'm going for Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a tied Indiana Jones and Marion on a on the the Bantu Wind, which is a t shirt I'm currently wear, wearing as well. But it's when uh, he's looking in the mirror, Marion flips it over and smacks him in the face, and then he, she asks him to point to her heads, and everywhere he points, she kisses. Yeah, that's a great scene. I think it's. Uh, I mean, I know it's a romantic. It's a pulp pulp action adventure and they often feature lots of romance but this is i think it's done well between them as you get you get the gist of both characters and their relationship in that scene yeah yeah definitely i agree and it's it's, it's a nice little moment of peace and comedy in a in a full-out action adventure right right without a doubt good pick all right thank you very much and what about uh, what's your next one okay well my second
1: pick is my favorite scene uh, from a terrible terrible movie and it is <laughs> the x-files i want to believe which is the second X-Files movie, the really terrible one with the switching heads and all of that stuff that almost nobody saw. And those people who did see it probably didn't even see the scene that I'm talking about. I've I've forgotten about that film. (laughs) So let me explain. So we all know the X-Files, 10 seasons, Scully and Mulder, you know, most of that time, the will they or they won't they, but they have a son. But, you know, their their relationship was never as consummated in the show as a lot of people wanted it to be. And then, of course, the first X-Files movie was, you know, mid-show run. It didn't really deal with that. And then the second the second movie was so dark and grim that even though they were apparently living together, everyone looked miserable and dour and probably because the film was terrible. So <laughs> which scene did I like so much, you may ask? Well, yeah, go through the entire end credits, the camera is sweeping over landscapes, just like, you know, flying, swooshing over landscapes. And eventually it gets to the coast and it flies out over the ocean and it just keeps on going for minutes and minutes. And at the very, very end, the camera swoops over a rowboat in the middle of the ocean. And in it are Scully and Mulder. And they both look up at the camera. And wave, and Scully is laying back, and I think she has, like, a nice dress on, and she's wearing sunglasses, and they both look happy, and they wave to the camera, and then the camera pans off, and that's the end of the movie. And I love that scene. Wow. Yeah, it's really great. Like, it's a terrible movie, and it kind of ruined the X-Files. And then at the very, very end, it was kind of like this little thing where it's like, hey – if you're a diehard X-Files fan and you've always wanted to see these two characters end up together, we're going to throw you just this little bone at the end where it's like here they are sailing like, – like, like rowing off to like their little honeymoon or whatever, finally happy. And I like to think like that's to me – obviously, if have to discount the last year's you know miniseries. But to me, it's kind of like that's the X-Files happy ending that I wanted. Do you know what I'm saying? Damn
0: it. Yeah, I didn't – I think I switched it off. Most but people did. Well, <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to – I'm to have to watch I think again? I'm
1: probably one of like 10 people who's seen that scene but there's oh, something no. just really magical about it and something really just like it put a big smile on my face which was not easy to do after suffering through that movie yeah it's just something that to me was like there's this great nod to the X Files fans like hey here's that payoff you know we're sorry that it took yeah. so long we're sorry that this movie was terrible but here's this nice little thing you know
0: how does that tie into the end of the film I can't remember where the film ended uh, I don't remember how in? it ended but either
1: the... to be honest with you I just know that this was the scene at, at the end
0: oh, okay I'm gonna have, Damn it. I'm gonna have to to watch it again so that's my
1: that's my second pick there what else you got phil
0: okay mine is uh it's a cohen brothers film it's uh, fargo and it's basically uh the scene uh, when... the
1: wood chipper scene right very romantic
0: yeah i mean that's that's how how much closer to a person can you get <laughs> No, it's when a uh, police chief marge gunderson played by played by francis mcdormand when she's uh, she gets the call she's in bed she's heavily pregnant she wakes up and she's got to go and investigate this dead body they found but her husband doesn't let her leave until he's cooked cooked the breakfast and he just it's just the way he's fussing over he he just gets up he knows that she's a busy sheriff she works hard so he goes gets up goes and makes a breakfast while she's getting washed and dressed and everything and it's just i think it's just a little lovely scene of two people totally in love with each other they've known each other for years and i think it's it's a very true slice of life
1: yep yep i agree it's a great scene for
0: but sure but it's yeah and you, you just feel you just you just with that you don't have to do much more than that but it just t- shows you know yeah. Love.
1: Yeah, it shows yeah. real love and devotion. Yeah. I like it. Good pick. Thank you very much. Okay. And have you got any more? You know, just one quick one I want to throw in actually, and it's another uh, another extra scene actually. It is the second after the credit scene from the end of Thor: The Dark World. Uh, which to me was a, an inferior film to the first one, although I still enjoyed it, but, you know, um, the, yeah, the relationship yeah. between Thor and Jane Foster took a little bit of a backseat, kind of, in that one, but at the very very end of the movie, there's a scene where he just opens up a portal on Earth and steps out and he's right next to, you know, Jane and they, they have this passionate oh, kiss. That. And yeah. that's my favorite scene of that entire movie. I loved it, because I'm always about the characters, you know, and as much as yeah. the action and the spectacle is great, I love the characters and so when he when he comes all the way back from Asgard and just Steps out just so he can give her that passionate kiss. It's like, oh, it doesn't get more romantic than that, at least not in a superhero movie.
0: No, I agree because, I mean, he always mentions Jane Foster, but she's, she's not in many of the films. But it's, uh, it was nice to finally see, right. you know, the, the get-together. Yeah, it's
1: just nice to kind of really get a nice real view of, of this, this, these feelings that they have for each other.
0: Yeah. Well, well, I've just got one, a quick sure, one as well, sure. and it's, it's, it's a comic book one. It's basically Deadpool, all the scenes with him oh, and uh yes. Marina Baccarin. and it's just whatever they're together, you just feel these two broken, twisted people have met uh, you know, their soulmates. Yes, yes. And it's all it's 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 a comedy, it's a it's a violent comedy, but it's all about one man right. trying to get back to the one he loves. Right and he'll do anything. It is to it be is kind here. of
1: a romance yeah. movie in some ways, yeah. actually.
0: Yeah. He he cheats death to be back with her. Right, exactly. And then he, he uh, goes through hell to, to save her. Yeah.
1: Yeah, a great pick. Absolutely, I agree.
0: That's our Unexpected Romance. Very good.
1: All right, so then let's uh, move on then to our third and final segment of the show, which is our 100 Years of Hollywood in 100 Episodes. And this week, as we have mentioned, we are breaking from our normal format. Instead of doing 1988, as we had promised, we are going to do our top 10 romantic movies of
0: the 2000s. Okay, then. So what if, uh, So it's all films from romantic top 10 films from the 2000s or noughties. So what's your number 10?
1: All right, well, before I do that, interesting trivia for you that I noticed. Yeah. Four of my top five films on this list are from 2007. Ooh. yeah I don't know how that happened or why I don't know apparently 2007 was a good year for romantic films I just thought that was interesting because the rest of my films are spread out pretty much throughout the decades so, yeah my first one's from 2007 so, looking at there it there you go see alright so my number 10 however is not from 2007 it's from 2002 and it is my big fat Greek wedding ah. which I think gets a lot of kind of flack nowadays because it was so popular and so people now like to do that thing where they you know it wasn't that good of a movie and blah 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 but yeah. you know it was a huge success for a reason it's a really fun, charming movie. I think Nia Vardalos was great in it. I I love the fact that she kind of created this movie and wrote it and starred in it and everything. And I love that it was like this little tiny independent film that became this just massive success story. And I think the the, the the film itself gets lost in the shuffle of all all of the stuff behind it, you know, the story of yeah, success. Yeah. But it's a good film. It's a really fun, cute romantic comedy. It's it's got a lot of laugh out loud moments. The extended family is great. It, despite the fact that Joey Fatone is in it, I, I still really like it. <laughs> okay. Just had to throw that in there.
0: No, it's it's a good yeah, good good point. it has got a great supporting cast and I remember watching it. I'm really enjoying it, yeah. but you're right. Some some films, you get the backlash because you seen it now with La La Land, yeah, yeah, and things like that. It's just if films are successful, suddenly people will start, yeah needlessly picking it apart. Right, exactly. And it's all, it's all to do with time. And if you see the film before it becomes big, you love it. And then if you don't, you go, oh, well, it wasn't that
1: good. Right, it's true, it's true.
0: But no good pick, uh, an excellent pick. Okay, my number 10 is a film, this one's from 2007. It's Lars and the Real Girl, uh, directed by Craig Gillespie and stars Ryan Gosling, Emily Mortimer. It's all about Lars, who's played by Ryan Gosling, he has got some emotional problems, and he ends up ordering uh, a lifelike sex doll, who he calls Bianca, and he says she's actually a missionary from Brazil who he met, and she's in a wheelchair, and he basically, he thinks she's real. And the the town all realise that he needs this to help get through whatever the problem is that's in his his mind. So they all start treating her like she's real. And it's a nice film. You start to realise that his co-worker, Margot, he ends up falling in love with her, but he doesn't know how to cope with that or deal with it. And it's just a film showing this man who's in a bad place, healing himself in a bizarre way. But it's a, it's, a, it's a great little movie. Good pick. And I actually I have always wanted to see that movie and I've never gotten around to it. So uh, yeah. I will
1: reveal it's not on my list. It's not one of my 2007 picks, but uh, good choice. It is one I've heard very good things about.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, one of, it's one of those ones where you know it shows you know that Ryan Gosling is a, is a really good actor. He, he's, he, people forget right. that he's done lots of these, these uh, indie dramas and comedies and things like that. Right,
1: right, right, exactly alrighty well my number nine is Kissing Jessica Stein from 2001 starring Jennifer Westfeld ah. and uh, you know it's a it's a, it's a great comedy a kind of a bittersweet comedy at times about uh, you know a woman who basically is kind of fed up with men and sort of accidentally ends up in a relationship with another woman and doesn't quite know how to handle it and I always really liked that it's, it was another kind of indie film uh, that gained sort of a cult following got a lot of critical acclaim uh, I think it's very funny but also very uh, touching at, at, in places and I do kind of like this sort of. I don't know if I can say a realistic aspect of it, having never been a woman in a relationship with another woman, but it yeah, um, yeah. It, it presents things that I think in, in the way real life works, and that things are, are often messy in the film and, and things don't just go smoothly it's not your typical rom-com where it just it's meet cute everyone falls in love and lives happily ever after there's, there's more to it than that so
0: it's always a film I've had a soft spot for
1: that's why it's my number 9
0: yeah it's always a film i meant to see but never got around to it oh ok yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely
1: yeah. worth watching it's a good one
0: yeah it's always had really good reviews but ok my number 9 is uh, it's a Paul Thomas Anderson one uh. so I know you'll probably love it <laughs> it's from 2002 it's Punch Drunk Love starring Adam Sandler Emily Watson Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, Louis Guzman uh, so, yeah, it's an Adam Sandler film as well, so lots of people be going, what? But if you haven't seen it, <laughs> well, I think it's, it's worth it's checking out. it's
1: pretty well regarded as one of Adam Sandler's best films, though.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's a great film. Uh, he plays... Adam Sandler plays a man with anger issues, so, yeah, bear with me, people. It's, it is... Di- <laughs> It's it's good. He he works like a novelty uh, firm, and he's trying to he's trying to sell things. He's just got to, again. It's somebody with problems, but he ends up having this relationship with this English woman played by Emily Mortimer, and he buys an awful lot of pudding right. because he found a loophole to to get a free trip to Hawaii. If you haven't seen it, check it out. If you if you don't like Adam Sandler, check it out because it's uh, he's really good in it. It's a good film. Very good pick. My number eight is from
1: 2009, and it is not a film that I think was particularly well-received, but I'm not sure why, and it is The Time Traveler's Wife starring Eric Banna and Rachel McAdams. And I think um, it's based on a very popular novel, and I think maybe a lot of people who read the book didn't love the adaptation of it. I've not read the book, but it's about this man who basically kind of starts traveling through time but can't control it, and so his wife, you know, he kind of sort of disappears on her. And um, I just thought it was a really cool film. It was one of those movies that just to me was really well done. It had the science fiction aspect to it, but it was really about this relationship, and um, the performances are great, and like I said, I know a lot of people either haven't seen it or don't don't really like it that much, but for whatever reason, it really resonated with me, uh, and I enjoy it quite a bit.
0: Uh, no, I've, I've read the book and seen the film, uh, and the film was a pretty good adaptation of it, to be honest. Oh, good, good. It had all the major beats and everything in the concept, but uh, I think both of them left me a little bit cold. I like the concept, but uh, something about it just didn't seem... didn't quite work for me. Fair enough. Okay, so my number eight is a Pixar movie. It's from 2008. It's uh, Wally. Uh-huh. Wally, Wally. Interesting. But it's just... You know, it's the little robot on Earth cleaning up, and then then the super cool Apple-looking Eve comes down to the planet, and Wally is smitten, and he goes around the galaxy to be with her. And it's just—I know it's—it's it's an animated one, but as usual, with these Pixar and Disney to get the emotion in these, especially in this one, when it's just Wally's just a like a box with a pair of binoculars on his head, but just gets the emotion through there. And I just think it's—it's it's lovely, and the way it's done is just. Uh, it's beautiful.
1: Sure, sure. Good pick. You know, this is where my my controversial Pixar opinions come into play. I'm not a huge fan of <laughs> Wally. Uh, I think it's a good movie. Like like most Pixar films, I like it. Don't love it. Yeah. You know, but I know people think I'm weird. So what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, my number seven is from 2004. It is The Notebook starring uh, Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams, people who are probably going to appear on our list several times, it seems like. Uh, <laughs> but they do tend to make these kinds of movies, obviously. Um, and I know that, you know, obviously it's based on Nicholas Sparks' book. And I know that The Notebook has sort of become shorthand in the lexicon for like sappy romance films. You know, it's like yeah. easy to make the joke about, oh, it's The Notebook, you know, whatever. But I think that takes away from what a, what a good film it actually is. There's
0: this sort of book. Oh, end. It, it's a very, va- it's a va- good film yeah right. but I know what you mean it's it's become this this catch-all now hasn't it?
1: Yeah, it yeah it really has you know but there, there's this bookend with James Garner and Jenna Rollins and you know there's it's yes it is a melodrama it is a romance it you know there's no two ways about that it's it's a it's a if you want to call it a, you know the quote chick flick you can't really deny that but it is a very good movie. A movie like that, it does affect people, and I do think it's a, it's a good film, and it does have this great romance in it. And so um, maybe it's a sappy chick flick, but I do, I do like it. I think it's a quality film.
0: Well, it, it didn't make my list, but I must admit when I, I first saw it because I didn't know about the framing device and everything, and I, when it ends and stuff, I was bawling like a baby. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it's just yeah. – no, it's a worthy pick. Thank you. Okay. My number seven is a uh, Disney film. Wow, it's from 2007. It's Enchanted. Ah, very good choice. Thank you. It's uh, directed by Kevin Lehman, stars the luminous Amy Adams, Patrick Dempsey, James Marsden, and Susan Sarandon. This is the one where the princess comes from the animated world to the real world, which is New York City. And it's... it's Amy Adams carries this film. She just makes it. But everybody else does a dang good job. James Marsden as the, uh, the Disney prince coming to the real world is also fantastic. And yeah, he's perfect casting, too. It's just a delightful, romantic, silly... Soppy film.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Good choice. Now, Phil, that's two weeks in a row you have a Disney film
0: on your on your list. I have to say it's uh, I, I, I don't know
1: if I should be proud or worried. <laughs> I know <laughs> and it
0: was uh, luckily, though before, you know, Wally became before Pixar became right. Disney Pixar. So. That's right, otherwise it'd be three in two weeks. Holy cow. <laughs> what are we gonna do? You got more Disney
1: God films help. on your list this week than I do practically. I know. God help me. <laughs> I'm rubbing off on you, Phil. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. So my number six is from 2003 and it is Love Actually um, which is both a romantic movie and a Christmas film and it's, it's great on both terms. Uh, humongous cast. I'm not even going to go through it. I, I think it's a very well-loved <laughs> movie. You know, it's one of those great ensemble pieces with all these, you know, storylines that seem unconnected at first and then they slowly intertwine and sort of all come together at the end. And, um, you know, it's one of those movies I watched it when it came out and I remember really liking it and then I, I hadn't seen it for years. And uh, there's just this past christmas it was on tv and I, you know it's one of those movies that i wasn't planning on watching but it was on and i sort of got sucked yeah. into watching it again and i was reminded of all the scenes i had forgotten about there's all because there's a lot of it that i forgot about and i loved it i, I really enjoyed watching it. I, I forgot what a good film it, it really is so uh so yeah so love actually i think it's uh i think it's just a great funny
0: charming you know romantic film it is a great film it's also my number six all right same as yours yes yeah, it's, it's uh pretty much everything you said it's got all the different storylines. So if there's one you don't particularly like, it's always going to go to something else, which I quite like. It's got a stunning range of actors. Yeah. In, including the late Alan Rickman. But there's uh, it's just, it's funny, touching, it's dramatic. And there's, there's times when you're going, what are you doing that for, you idiots? And there's times when you're going, oh my God, oh. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's yeah, it's a great film. Good, excellent. Yeah, well, I'm glad we are on the same page there.
1: All right, well, my number five is Dan in Real Life, which stars Steve Carell. I think we all know now that Steve Carell is a really good actor, but you know, ten years ago when this movie came out, I think he was mostly still known for his sort of, you know, the anchor man and, and, and god Bruce Almighty, all those types of movies where he was pretty much still doing mostly comedy. And this was yeah, one of the yeah. first movies that I remember seeing him in where he played a more dramatic role. It is a funny movie. It has a lot of comedy to it, but it's also a very uh I don't want to say complex movie, but it has a heart to it. It has a real story to it. It's not a rom com, even though it's a Romantic movie that has comedy in it, if that makes sense, you know. Yeah, um, it's just, it's more of a, a drama almost about this character who's sort of just you know unsettled in his life, and then there's a lot of funny parts in it, you know. But I think Carell is terrific in it, and I think the whole cast is terrific. There's some really funny parts, some really moving parts, some touching parts. I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a very overlooked movie that is is worth tracking down if you haven't seen it.
0: It's it's a great movie, and I'd totally forgotten about it for this list. Oh, I don't well, remember; it probably would have been in it. But yeah, I mean, the scene when Steve Carell first meets uh, Julia Binoch in the bookshop—it's uh-huh. just so it's so well done. Yes, yes, exactly. There's, there's so many good scenes, and as you say, Steve Carell is a brilliant actor.
1: Yes, he is. Well, we'll make it—you can make it an honorary runner-up on your list
0: if you want. Okay, yeah, it's it's my number eleven. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my number five then is High Fidelity, uh, directed by Stephen Frears, starring John Cusack. Jack Black, Tim Robbins, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Lisa Bonet. And it's the, based on the novel of the same name by Nick Hornby. But it's John Cusack. He runs a a record store and he basically goes to the top ten. Your true loves. Well, it's top No, it's top five, sorry, of, uh, of, of women he's loved. And he goes through them all and he basically looks at himself and ends up falling in love and realising what love actually is. Yeah, music, mixtapes and Jack Black being Jack Black before we sort of knew what Jack Black was about.
1: Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a great pick, and actually I, I really like that movie, and it's one of those ones that sort of just didn't make my list, mostly because I haven't seen it in a while, And I, I even though I know I really enjoy it. I, I, mostly what I remember is the record store stuff, not the romance part of it. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was one that, had I seen it more recently, I'm sure would have been on my list because I do really remember enjoying it it's just been a while it was a little fuzzy in my memory but very good pick thank you very much well my number four has already appeared on your list uh and no surprise it's a disney movie and it is enchanted (laughs) um and like you said you know it's it's a great cast great story i love the idea of this disney princess coming to the real world and there's two reasons why i made it so high on my list first of all i think amy adams is just absolutely magical she's enchanting no pun intended she is just (laughs) luminescent she's everything a Disney princess should be you know she really captures that feeling of being a Disney princess and the other reason is just all the little touches they got right all the little nods to the to the classic Disney princesses like Cinderella and the little in jokes with like the little birds bringing her clothes and everything and and how that all translates into the real world I just thought the humor in it was really yeah the the rats and the things and the pigeons yeah like they managed to make it very funny and almost, almost satirical in a way, but still being a true Disney film at heart, and not making fun of it in a way that's mean spirited. And I think that's a hard act uh, to
0: pull off. And I, I, really enjoyed it. It's a great film. Totally, yeah. a lot of thought went into that film, right? To make it, make, make sure it worked.
1: Yes, yes, agreed.
0: Yeah. But yeah, excellent choice. Okay, my number four is uh, Juno, Jason Reitman film, starring oh, written by Diablo Cody, starring Alan Page and Michael Sarah J.K. Simmons. Uh, she discovers she's pregnant. By her friend and she's she's not sure what to do but you got her dad jk simmons and stepmother played by alison janey oh i just think absolutely brilliant in this it shows you know what a a proper dad should be i just i just think jk simmons and the the way it's written is just brilliant for those uh, his role but it's uh ellen page as juno just carries the whole thing she's just brilliant in this you have uh, michael Serra's character who's who's been in love with juno for a long time and they just, as time goes on, she comes to realize how much he, he means to her and what they mean to each other. It's a, it's a lovely film. Sure.
1: Now, you know how you were just saying earlier about how you see a film before the hype and you love it, and then if you see it after the hype? Ah, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I saw Juno after the hype, and I I've never been a fan of it, to be honest with you. I know that... I know it's really well loved and I know it got all this attention. I, I agree with you on the points. I like it in the yep. broad strokes. Like I love that J. K. Simmons is like the supportive dad and I think he's terrific in it. it. just never the film as a whole never won me over and I never really loved Diablo Cody's dialogue. I felt like it was a little too precious and overwritten, but um, I, I do see why people like the film. It just never really yeah. worked for me.
0: Oh, I saw it fairly on, so that's, uh, there's a good example. Right, of it. exactly.
1: All right, well, my number three is the only film in my top five that didn't come out in 2007. It's from 2009, and it is 500 Days of Summer, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel, and directed by Mark Webb, who went on to direct the two best Spider-Man movies, that would be The Amazing Spider-Man and The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, well, let's wait and see what you think after <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming comes out. Well, I'm just saying, you know how I feel about The Amazing Spider-Man 2 um, that everyone hated yeah, and cool. I loved. But it's the movie that kind of got him that, that gig, actually. And it's this really fantastic, quirky, romantic comedy um, about these two characters. It's a very kind of simple... You know, plot. It's it's boy meets girl. Girl is quirky. Boy and girl start dating, and you know that's the movie. But it, it's it's these five hundred days of summer, and it's told out of order chronologically. So you sort of jump around in their relationship, and um, it's just it's such a funny, charming movie. You know, both both Zooey Deschanel and Joseph Gordon-Levitt are terrific, and they act so well together. And then the script is great, and the the, the framing device, the way it jumps around, is great. I think the ending of the movie is perfect, um, and it's just this. It's you know, it's one of those movies that didn't get seen as much as i felt it should have um but i do think that you know if people who watch it will will really take a shine to it because i think it's very underrated and, and underappreciated and it's just this really great movie that can show you how good a rom-com can be when it's done well
0: yeah it's uh, it's one i must admit i've not seen i keep meaning to see it and i just never know oh, it's to really it. good you should definitely it's, check it's it. it's on my list but yeah because i like i like everybody involved
1: Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff.
0: No, good pick, though. Uh, My number three is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mmm, good choice. 2004, and starring Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, Kirsten Dunst, Mark Ruffalo, Elijah Wood. Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet have been in love, but they end up both going to this place which can wipe your memories because they've fallen out of love, and they want to get all memory of them taken out. But when it's taken out, no, when Jim Carrey goes to get it taken out, he realises he still loves and doesn't want to lose these memories. And so it's this surreal journey through his mind as well. He's trying to save the memories as they're getting wiped. And it's uh, it's a it's beautiful. It's one of you forget how what a good actor Jim Carrey is, but he's done some amazing dramatic roles, and this is uh, this is one of them. Very good pick.
1: Well, my number two is a film called "P.S. I Love You," and it stars Hilary Swank, Gerard Butler, and Harry Connick Jr. And it's I don't I don't know that it's a film that has been all that widely seen, but it um. My wife went and saw it in the theaters, and she loved it. And she's like, "We have to see this movie." So uh, when it came out on video, I, you know, she of course was super excited. We sat down to watch it, and and. I wasn't expecting what I got um, but it basically it's about so it's Hillary Swank plays this woman and and uh, her husband played by Gerard Butler dies but he leaves her letters about going out and rediscovering life and she goes out and she ends up meeting Harry Connick Jr. and so it's not the most unconventional plot in the world but what what, what struck me about the movie was that besides that everyone's really terrific I mean Gerard Butler is great and he's charming it's before he became this big gruff action hero and, and Harry Connick Jr. is way funnier than you'd ever expect him to be but um, is it's a really funny movie like there's a lot of laughs in it even though it's not like a comedy but man it will also turn around hit you with a gut punch two seconds later and you will find yourself just like bawling crying like it really is a movie that runs the gamut of emotions but it does it in a way that's so enjoyable you know it's like you 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 are crying and then a minute later you're cracking up laughing which is very cathartic you know it's it's a very emotional film but it's so much fun at the same time and i don't know that describing it is going to do it any justice but it's a really good film and um you know just make sure you have your tissues nearby but you're also going to laugh a lot and i think people will really enjoy
0: it if they uh if they watch it okay uh well my number two is 2003's Lost in Translation directed by Sofia Coppola uh, and it stars Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson meeting in a hotel in Tokyo.
1: Not surprised to see this on your list.
0: But <laughs> uh, but I just I just really like it. I love Bill Murray, I love Scarlett Johansson and I just I just like there's this you got this this old movie star working on Advice and for whiskey and he meets uh, Charlotte who's a young college graduate who's there with her husband and they they're both sort of lost in life and they meet up and they they just talk, go and explore Tokyo, and that's all it is really. There's nothing sexual in it or anything, but it just have this thing where they meet and they connect on a deep, deep level, and they both help each other and probably never forget each other. Right? But it's I, I just think it's done really well. Showing these two people who are, are lost in a big city, but lost within themselves as well and in life, and then coming together and helping each other get through it. And if the final scene, I just uh, always, I just think it's. Uh, It's it's brilliant.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that that is an excellent choice, and like I said, I am not surprised to see it on your list.
0: Thank you very much. Okay, so now up to your number one. Yes,
1: my number one from two thousand and seven, and it is Stardust, starring Ben Barnes, Claire Danes, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Robert De Niro. And um, Stardust is one of my favorite movies, and it's really, really overlooked. It was not a hit in the theaters. I don't think a lot of people have seen it. I think it is just utterly fantastic. I mean, honestly, if if I had to describe it to people who haven't seen it, I would say it's Star Wars meets The Princess Bride. Now, think about that for a second. that's a good description, yeah. (laughs) Right, like think about that. I mean, here you're talking about two of the greatest films of all time and you mash them together and you get Stardust. I'm not saying it's quite as good as either of those films. But it really has that spirit and that feel. It has that sense of fun. It's very whimsical. It has all this great fantasy adventure. It's got this sort of fairy tale feel to it. I think it is just this utterly wonderful film that not nearly enough people have seen. And I absolutely love it. And as soon as I started looking at this list and I saw Stardust came out in the 2000s, I automatically knew it was my number one because I just really. Really, really
0: love that movie. No, it's it's a, it's a brilliant movie as well. I mean, anything, any film which has got Robert De Niro as a transvestite pirate, <laughs> right? I mean, it's got to be on your watch list. How can
1: you go wrong with that? And that, yeah. you know, and, it, and it, stuff like that makes it sound silly, but it's done so well. Even his story, oh, done, yeah, his is amazing, yeah. right? Even his story is done in a way that is filled with pathos and, and makes you feel for this character, where it could be campy and silly. But it's not, you know, and it's just – it's so well done and I, I really, really love it. I should point out actually too it is based on a graphic novel of sorts. It's sort of a, a illustrated novel by Neil Gaiman. So if you are a Neil Gaiman fan, um, it is an adaptation. And obviously I'm sure there's some liberties from the source material. But in terms of capturing the the spirit and the feel of the original novel, which I also love, um, it's totally worth it and it's it's just fantastic.
0: No, it's a, it's a brilliant film. I do, I do enjoy that one. It's so many stars, so many cool bits magical, but yeah, saying that Star Wars meets the Princess Bride is a great way of describing it, to be honest. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, but it's uh, it didn't make my list purely because I didn't really think of it as a romantic film, but it is. Well, and that's bit, yeah. You know, yeah, when I when I was yeah. looking
1: at the list too, because I was like, well, this is a fantasy film, but at the heart of it, it is about yeah, it's, just, it's this huge classic romance, fairy tale yeah. romance. Yeah. You know, about this yeah. this boy and this girl, and and the you know all these dangers they have to go through to be together. You know, and and that's part of what I love about the film so much is it's not just this adventure; it is a great romance on top of all that fantasy. Yeah,
0: but no, an excellent choice.
1: Thank you very much. Well, don't keep us in suspense. What's your number one?
0: Okay, my number one is. Uh, Amélie, or the Fab- fabulous destiny of Amélie Poulain, mm-hmm. uh, two thousand and one, directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunet, and starring Audrey Tautou, and it's just a beautiful story set in a set in Paris, you know, city romance anyway. Following Amélie Poulain, who she basically she wants to bring love to people, so you know, so she's like sets people up, she manipulates things, does things to to so people have love in their life, and all the time she's She's trying to track down this person who's been leaving photos ripped up and she's trying to track down the mystery. But it's just this uh, fantastical romp through Paris with the the gorgeous Audrey Tattoo doing this amazing, just, just this amazing role and just doing wonderful things. And it's just, it's magical. It's romantic. It's just big and brash. It's small and quiet. And it's, uh, yeah, I love it. The terrific choice, uh, without a doubt. Thank you very much. But it's uh, it's it's well worth it. This Valentine's Day. Watch that and Stardust and you'll have a great day. Oh, absolutely. I, that is a great double feature, for sure. So that's our top 10 romantic movies of the noughties.
1: Yes. <laughs> but not naughty like naughty. Naughty is like, yeah. like, like naughties. Yeah. yeah. Which doesn't, ma- didn't clarify that at all. Yeah, 2000s. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah, that's our choices. Great list, Phil. I, I really enjoyed putting that together. There's some really good romantic movies in the 2000s. I, I really enjoyed revisiting several
0: of those. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, it serves. I liked uh, some of the films you picked as well. Great. All some right. Some more to add to my list of Never-ending list of films to watch.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Same here. All right. Well, that's going to uh, start to wrap things up for us for this episode. Phil, why don't you tell people what we have in store for them next week?
0: Okay. Next week, we will be doing the top ten film. Well, we're back to our normal top ten, so it's going to be the top ten films of 1988, and we promise it will be this time. Yes, yes. No more changes. And we, we will also be going after the ending of The Warriors. Yay. Come out to play. <laughs> exactly. And <Warriors>. the f- <laughs> And, oh, it's a brilliant movie, yeah. And Luc Besson's The Fifth Element. Yes, yes, that should be a lot of fun. Yep. Where are we going to go with that one? Uh, (laughs) The possibilities
1: are (laughs) limitless, I think. Yes, I think so. All right, well, there you go. So that's what you can look forward to next week. We hope you will all join us here again. Until that time, I am Mike Spring.
0: And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. But the thing that gets me as well, The Last Jedi, I think it is the plural because... You get in you know, all, like, the comics and the uh, the cartoons and things, there's so many flaming Jedi who were uh, yeah, escaped yeah. Order 66. It's, right. You know, it, it's ludicrous.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't say the end of the Jedi, just as the last Jedi. So even if it's yeah. focusing on Luke, it could just sort of be his story as the last Jedi. It doesn't mean anything bad happens to him. Yeah,
0: and then, then episode uh, episode 10, the the title is, uh, Oh, but we forgot about these Jedi. <laughs> right. <There you> <laughs> <up>. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> Okay, so uh, on that note then, Phil, how about you take us through your immediate aftermath? Let me do that again because obviously it sounded like I didn't know which section you were doing (laughs) and there's a reason for that because I didn't know which section you were doing. (laughs) Luke is happy for them and while he's a little disappointed that she doesn't want to follow the path of the Jedi, he understands and is overall very – I already said happy for them. He understands and is mostly just happy to see them being happy together. When Han and Leia decide to get married the following year, Luke serves as the officiant and is happier for them than anybody else. He's also extremely, I'm about to say happy for like the 17th time (laughs) in a row. Holy crap. (laughs) When Han and Leia decide to get married the following year, Luke serves as the officiant and he says, "Wov twu, wov." No. no, no. (laughs) Marriage. Marriage.
0: little Billy Crystal crossover there. (laughs) Ben is now 10 and his son, I can't say it. Ben is now 10. And it's,
1: I can't say, it's, it's a simple sentence. What's he doing, Phil? Come on. Yeah. Leia is constantly in, <clears throat> Leia is constantly, uh, blah, blah, blah. now it's my turn. <laughs> that works with the Republic to alert them of threats to the peace, that works with the Republic to alert them of, yep.
0: Uh-huh. It's got us both. Yep. Muppet guy who's with her Jabba the Hutt, yeah. when he's chewing up.
1: That's a terrible, terrible. Oh my God, he's there with you. <laughs> that's our special interview. <laughs> Sounds like I had a seizure, not like Salacious Crumb <laughs> And you know, Molly uh, and Scalder Jesus. <laughs>
0: Molly and Scalder Yep, yep. Mully and Scalder. That's like uh, the Asylum knockoff, right? <laughs> <of it>. Right. <laughs> <laughs>